0: Welcome to The Teaching Ministry at Carthurs Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Really glad you're here uh, on this, uh, well, not so nice summer day. And we want to welcome our online audience, wherever you might be. Like Jillian was saying, you may be listening in the provincial park or at a cottage or in another place in the world. We're glad that you're joining us uh, here this morning. Well, we're in Proverbs chapter 5 this morning, and so if you've got uh, your Bible physically or virtually, we've got Wi-Fi in here, we'd ask you to turn there, and we're going to uh, dialogue together uh, out of that. Now, I just want to start again by saying a few words. If you're joining us for the first time today and you've not been going through this series with us, I want to be clear what the book of Proverbs is and what it's not, because one of the terrible things that happens in churches all the time is they misuse scripture, especially wisdom literature, and it ends up hurting people. Proverbs, as I've said for five weeks straight, is is not a list of promises from God. They are given so we know how to love God and love our neighbor. It is a book on how to live in a godly way in a very dark, ungodly world. Proverbs at its heart is about the prevention of self-injury. You never need to be the author of sin against God or, or others or yourself or family. Maybe I could summarize it this way for all of us. You could say that Proverbs are not promises, but promptings for godly living. Now, with that said, today I need to be very upfront with our whole community and say that God's word is always amazing and truthful, but the passage today is R-rated. Actually, I'm going to give it one X out of three. So the Sermon General's warning this morning is this is R-rating and above for the viewing and listening public. So I'm not going to be offended if you've got some children that you need to take out now because what the scriptures do and where the scriptures go today are very explicit. And so I want to give everyone a warning and you also listening or watching online, please take this to heart as I begin this today. Because if you don't, you're going to have some very interesting dialogues with some children later about words you've never used in front of them yet. Not swear words, just different words. Okay. So let's get into this today. God today speaks out of his love and his holiness to every one of us as a community and asks us all today, no matter who we are, to deal with, to confront, to repent from, and to flee from one word, adultery. If there's one statement that brought this home this week, here it is. If you take what does not belong to you, you wind up losing what does. Let me say that again. If you take what does not belong to you, you wind up losing what does. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, these first nine chapters in this amazing book of Proverbs is an important conversation between his father, a father and a young adult son, which we get to listen in on. There's no holding back here. This is straight talk about God, the world, people, politics, family, sex, money, business. It is a strongly painted picture of what it looks like for ordinary people to follow God, the God who has already chosen them and they already have relationship with So this day, at this moment, the father in the conversation now brings up a conversation he's already started earlier. He speaks into his son's future about marriage and about the possible death of the marriage he's already longing for as that young adult. Marriage, of course, we all know at its heart is about trust and faithfulness and compromising those two things is always disaster. The father brings up this topic of adultery not once, not twice, not three times, but four different times in great artistic detail in the first nine chapters. Dad thinks that this conversation needs to happen. Now, the topic of adultery should stop all of us today, should stop all of us and call us again to acknowledge something. God, if you're a Christian, has redeemed you out of sin, out of our own spiritual Egypt. And so all the Ten Commandments now need to be lived out of, including you shall not commit adultery. And let's not forget, just like the book of Proverbs, the Ten Commandments are not the things that get us relationship with God. It forms the relationship with God and others once we have the relationship. As I said in the Ten Commandments series, these words, once we know as people that we cannot be saved by obeying the Ten Commandments or, or Proverbs. And we see our sin, we're driven then to God and His mercy. If we accept God's mercy, then we no longer are, are condemned, but we, we see them as life-giving laws. Living out of the Ten Commandments after meeting, after meeting Jesus as Savior and Lord, and receiving the Spirit of God, who gives us the ability to follow after God, actually is real freedom. As the great Anglican thinker J.I. Packer once wrote, these ten directives, these ten life-giving laws, embody the Creator's idea for human interaction. They are given as as a means of maintaining a redeemed relationship that's already been given by grace. So now we come to the issue at hand this morning. And if I can just stop, if I can say the lighting guy, could you just put up the lights just a little bit? That would be great. I want to see the pupils of people's eyes. No, no, no. I just it'd be a little easier. We come to the issue at hand this morning. God knows, and so does the father in the conversation, that the old lie goes like this, and it's been around since the beginning of time. Sex with others that you're not married to, given to, the one you've coveted with, is good, is natural. It's where pleasure, you know, really is found, where you can drink and drink and find real satisfaction. Here it is, that you actually deserve and desire. The father's been around long enough to know that nothing's new under the sun. He also knows that what God says does not change. So he calls his young adult son to pay attention again. Proverbs 5:1 starts like this My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight. Look at me, son, he says. Look at me right in the eyes. Hear me on this. I remind you again of what I'm going to say. These are not my ideas or my life experience or your grandparents' moral ideals. What I'm going to tell you today comes comes from is rooted in God and his very nature. It's his actions. It's divine DNA. It comes from the written word. I'm not making this up to oppress you, son. The God I have met has taught me this also. He says in the second part of verse one, turn your ears to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. If you listen, he says, son, if you listen, then you will be preserved. You will be spared. You will not be burned for listening leads to wisdom and also discretion. And they will not only be something that you think about sometimes or sometimes as an idea you like, you actually will become these things. You will incarnate wisdom in discretion. Already in the first verse, we see the simple pattern emerging out of the book of Proverbs. It's been repeated time and time again. Listen to God's word, obey God's word, live out of God's word. How do you do this? Well, as we've learned, choose with your feet to walk in God's ways, and then leave it to the next generation by telling them. And here it is, everyone, actually living it in front of them. Can you hear the response? Yeah, 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 Dad, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome, Dad. Good ideas. Can you imagine the father, son? Give me your iPhone. Give me your iPad. Turn the music off, turn the television off, look at me, hear me. This, this is serious, and this, this matters. By the way, son, in a not-so-distant future, you are going to come to a place where these very words are about to be tested. See, one day, virtually or physically, someone is going to come to you and say these words. Let's get it on. Come on. No one's going to know. You know that secret sex is the best sex, forbidden, illicit, and wild. And at that point, son, I want you to remember these words I'm about to give you. The lips of an adulterous woman drip honey. Her her speech is is smoother than oil. Adulterous woman, in other translations, is, is written as a strange woman. It could mean a non-Jewish woman. This is written to a Jewish community. It could be the wife of another. It could be a sex trade worker. It actually could be a shrine prostitute, which was common in pagan times where you'd go and pay to have sex with a prostitute and worship a false God all at once. Well, which one is it? Well, I would say yes. They all apply. The father's details, of course, are well chosen, whether you're comfortable with them or not. Honey with strong overtones of kissing. Smooth oil is the image chosen for her erotic vocabulary, which will slowly wear this young man down. Never forget that a good lie is 90% truth and 10% untruth. The oil is the language that arouses. It is language used to turn on. What a double entendre. Dripping honey, smooth oil. These are well-positioned erotic metaphors. They do not hold back. They do not cover over the reality of that sexual moment where the choice will have to be made again, virtually or physically. Which drive will win out in the end? Holiness and faithfulness to God or a God-given sex drive used to violate the very one that gave it in the first place? The father says, voice slightly raised with a dose of compassion and authority now in the air, son, please know, Please know in the core of who you are that it may look sweet and beautiful, better than what you may have in the future. You may believe the oldest lie that the grass is greener on the other side, but just like Adam and Eve that looked, then touched, then tasted, the result is one thing, catastrophic. Never forget, as that juice of that forbidden fruit filled their mouth. For that one moment, the world seemed right to them, beautiful, owned. They finally felt on top of the world. They knew good and evil. But, son, son, you know what happened, right? They lost the world they had been given. So the same will be true of you, son, if you choose to sleep around. The fact is, verse 4 but in the end, she is but bitter gall, she is sharp as a double edged sword. Gall comes from an old word called wormwood. It's the bitter juice derived from the leaves and buds of the Artemisia plant. But other parts of the plant, if you ingested them, were not just bitter. They would kill you. A double-edged sword, it's an interesting image, isn't it? Most of us don't walk around with swords anymore, so we don't think about them. But if you've ever seen, graphically, even in a movie, what a double-edged sword does to a human being... This should bring home how serious this is. In the Middle Ages, a double-edged sword could actually split a human being in half. These are graphic, pungent images used by a father trying to bring home the reality of what this topic really is about. You thought that the sexual encounter, son, would be like like honey and smooth oil, but it's bitter. It's not smooth. It's sharp. It's cutting. It's torturous. Actually, it's maiming. Now, though God is not mentioned yet in the passage, nor the Ten Commandments, it's obvious. There's one person wrote, if adultery is an offense towards God himself, and it's also disastrous, then it's naive to think that the person doing it would ever not be unscathed. The young man is challenged to look around and see that experience proves the truthfulness and authority of the wisdom teacher and the God he is actually representing. And as the father has already told the son, verse 5, you know her feet go down to death her steps lead straight to the grave. Run he says. Hear me said son run or you will be seduced by sexually provocative words by physical attraction or now in our culture by images vast and accessible from every single device we now all carry. But you don't just get hurt. The image here is that you sink into death, into the underworld. This is about temptation. This is about a willingness to operate outside of the legal and moral and God-given worship boundaries. God in your relationship, he says, with him, your family, your faith community, they will all become second chair in that moment to passion, to orgasm, to five minutes of heaven that are really hell-inspired Son, Verse 6, she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly. She does not know it. She chooses not to know, or she maybe just doesn't know the path of life at all. She wanders here and there, but goes nowhere in the end. Son, he says, son, what have I told you about the ways of life and the path of righteousness? What have I already talked to you about in our last conversation? verse Chapter 4, verse 26. Make level paths with your feet, son. Take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. Keep your foot from evil. Now then, verse 7, my sons, plural, do not turn aside from now what I say. It literally reads, do not turn aside from the speech of my mouth. And notice it's now sons, plural. See, the writer now is inviting all of us, the wide audience, all of us listening, watching, here present, no matter age, stage, gender, to pay close attention. Though this is a conversation to a young man, it applies to any person, male or female, here. Hear the word of God this morning, brothers. Keep keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Listen to me, he says. The best way to avoid this is to stay clear of the door. The door could be your house door. It could be another door. It could be a hotel, a car, a cottage. The door could be your Blackberry, your iPhone, your iPad. It could be your home phone. It could be a laptop. It could be here, there, or anywhere. But God in his mercy, God in love, calls out to his people now and says, do not use your God-given choice to go to a path. And then to adore, physically or virtually. Just run. And son, the father says, let me now give you some strong motivation and reasons to run from this. Hear me clearly. If you cross that threshold, you will, you will lose. There will be loss of strength and wealth and honor and even life itself. Years will actually drain from you. I know that you're young and I know that you think you're invincible, but, but you're not. Don't cross it, he says, or verse 9 will take place. Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Can you hear the son? But dad, how? <laughs> like, like how? how? How is my strength going to be taken or my, my wealth or my year stolen, given, taken? Like, come on. And dad says, many ways, Son. Seriously, just think about it. You don't think you're going to end up in court? You don't think you're going to lose all sorts of money to the betrayed? Or what about blackmail? Or what about venereal disease? Or what about loss of job? Or public exposure on Facebook or Twitter or the media? Or what about the emotional breakdown that's going to affect not only you, but our whole family and work? Son, you fill in the blank. And don't miss that word, cruel, son. I chose it. Cruel. You may think that there's even love in that affair, but really, you know it's about escape first and lust second. And when you've done what you thought was beautiful and passionate and amazing, the one that you have loved will experience now what you are about to go through. Because you will be used, you will be abused, and in the end you will be thrown away also. Everyone see that word, honor? It's an interesting word. In a lot of other contexts it's translated as vigor or vitality. The call here is very direct by the father. Do not spend your honor, your sexual energy and vigor on someone who is not your own spouse. Far from done, done, the father continues. He says the results of adultery are are like an unexpected tsunami that floods and breaks and destroys and kills. It comes in not once, but time and time again, and it brings chaos and death, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, relational. The, The whole thing that you are gets affected the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you'll say in your older age, how, how I hated discipline. My, how I, my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. The father fast forwards to the end. Regret, shame, Guilt, words, and actions do more than break bones. They end lives and dreams and hopes and desires. Do you hear it? Do you hear the sound of groaning, the sound of a heart wrenching irony now being spilled out that the words were not followed and maybe now it is just too late? Don't miss the power and the great contrast between light and darkness this morning. Hope and hopelessness. This is a razor edge that you could cross over, and if you do, son, it could become a fatal wound you may not even recover from. As I've taught you, wisdom gives life and riches and honor, but the the crooked path expressed in any of its ungodly forms, including and especially adultery, brings the reverse. You will lose strength. Years will be lost. The substance of life, reputation, broken. Now let's just pause for a moment and step out of the conversation. Just for a moment, as the modern hearer and reader in 2011, let's stop and step back and reflect and ask ourselves what image do you have in your head right now of the Father? Is he angry? Is he yelling? Is he wagging his finger? I don't think he is. The father here is full of passion and love, but also in strength is showing his son what will happen. My son, he's trying to say, you will lose much. This is not cruelty or fear for fear's sake alone. He's not being old and set in his ways. This is reality. He's meaning to scare and shock for one reason, because he loves. Verse 14, I'm so glad it was put in the scriptures. It's still at the end of the life as the father's talking, and it says this. I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Never forget, everybody, I don't care who you are this morning, old, young, doesn't matter. What starts in private never, 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 never remains private. It always spills out. Like acid thrown indiscriminately around, now many get burned family friends kids church the list goes on and on and then of course in that culture the whole family gets shamed forever now most people would think it would end here right if you've done the church thing for a while you know that much of preaching starts and ends only with the bad the consequences god is an angry god and we all go feel beat up and then we go to swish la and drink our shirley temples away i don't know we just you know what i'm talking about you grew up in some of those churches like you know But what what I, I, it breaks my heart that I wish a lot of pastors would keep going. Because it's not just about the warnings and the judgment, though absolutely needed in our culture. Our God is not just about these ends only. Amen? There is good. There is beauty. There is hope. There is another vision. There is another preferred future. And that's exactly what happens in Proverbs 5. The father then says, there is a better and a wiser path. Biblical marriage is where it's at. Be captivated, he says, by your wife's love. If married, the best defense against the temptation of adultery is to work hard first and foremost on just being a good husband or wife, faithful, loving, and then also working on a good sex life with your partner within the idea of biblical marriage. So the father now says this, and and by the way, here is where we move from R to X, just so you're all ready, okay? Drink from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Love, he says, cherish, be intimate with your wife or husband only, no one else. Now, as modern readers, we don't usually catch that these words that I just spoke and others are highly erotic images that I remind all of us this morning that God chose this is his word and the father chooses to use for it is the power of sexuality used rightly that God gave created and invites us to only right use will overcome wrong use can I say that again only right use will overcome wrong use Hebrew poetry pulls no punches it has no Canadian conservatism in it at all the image here of water is about the female sexual experience. And, and this gets really clear when you read books like the Song of Solomon. Let me read part of it this morning for, uh, for us. Song of Solomon 410. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? This is a conversation between a man and, and, and his wife. The fragrance of your perfume more than any spice, your lips drop sweetness as honeycomb, my bride, milk, and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride, you are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates, choice fruits, henna, nard, nard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon, every kind of tree, myrrh and aloe, the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from. Lebanon. This is highly erotic stuff that the father is saying to his son that you get to enjoy with one and one only till death. The father again says bluntly in verse 16, should your son, should your springs overflow in the streets? Should your streams of water in the public, stra- uh, public squares, let them be yours alone, never, be de- never to be shared with strangers. This, this call is twofold. Just as the father used images to express a woman's sexual experience, so now the same is used for men with images of springs overflowing. He is saying that the sexual encounter that God has created is great, it's needed, it's worshipful, it brings delight and pleasure, it's refreshing, it even gives you kids, but in the end, it's never, ever to be shared with others. Some of you are sitting and said, I can't believe this is church. Welcome. The dad gives the straight goods. He's honest about great and the terrible. He does not not talk about sex or even what it will look like or feel like. The son in this context would know exactly what his dad is talking about. He knows, though, the father knows that if there is not an engaging, powerful image of God-given and God-blessed sexuality, all of us will end up wandering somewhere else. Now, if some of you today at this moment, here or online, are angry that I've just said this, or think this is not appropriate for public preaching, I just want to stop and say, and remind all of us, this isn't John's book. This is God's word. It's meant to be public. It's meant to encourage, instruct, and rebuke. I remind all of us this morning, there are very few voices left fighting for God's desires for marriage and sexuality. I thank God that he does include this call and these highly erotic images. The Bible not only acknowledges the power of sexual love, but gives it its descriptive blessing. Many, not all, many are called to enjoy and express this drive that God has given us. But it's always within the boundaries of what God has set out, not only in nature, but more specifically in his word. The father continues and says this this morning, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. I never heard that verse growing up, ever. I almost twittered it this week. May her breast satisfy you always. And I went, "Mm, no, okay. I'll do it online. I'll just do it right here for them, okay. Do you know what the father's saying here? I love it. He's like, be captivated. Get drunk in love, for lovemaking, the Father says, makes you lightheaded both physically and metaphorically, like getting drunk. God says this is good, this is powerful, this needs to be sought after in a place of love and covenant, as we, of course, read in Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about mutual submission in marriage. But that's not the whole conversation either. As one great person wrote in his book, What God Expects from Ordinary People, he said this, and hear it please, if you're turning, tuning out, tune back in now. The question he writes is, what type of people do we want to be? Covenant keepers or self-maximizers? The first thinks in marriage in terms of faithfulness, and then sexuality and romance. And, and both of them coexist. Yet to focus only on the sexual aspect will lead us to be a fool too. Maybe our culture, he writes, has made us fools by getting us to believe that marriage is only about making people happy, not faithful, and that successful sex is only the dream coming true. The father ends this part of the chat this way, rhetorically asking a question. He says, son, why? Why? Honestly, son, why? Why would you ever do this? Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. He says, son, listen, God sees all, all the time. He considers everyone's path, and we will all give an account to God, no matter whether you believe it or not. You may not even believe in God. That doesn't change what you're going to face. Again, our culture cries out against this, but if there is no lawgiver and also savior beyond us, we are only left with us. And if we are it, everyone, we are in trouble. Just look at your life, your family, your history in CNN and BBC, and you will know we're not doing so well. The teacher says God is everywhere and he sees everything, but God only sees what each of us do. He knows what we think. And not only does he know what we think, he actually knows the motive of our thinking. Not done. The father gives one last motivation to avoid adultery. He said, adultery will trap you, son, and it will kill you. The evil deeds of a wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For a lack of discipline, they will, be, they will die led astray by their own great folly. I just want to stop and say, it's really interesting when Adam and Eve sinned for the very first time, and God confronted them. Do you remember what Adam said? God came to Adam and said, what have you done? And he immediately said, you gave me Her. And then he went to Eve. And Eve, what have you done? Oh, the snake. I just want to read this again. Led astray by their own great folly. No one gets to blame anyone else when you step through that door. You did it. Our culture is full of no one is responsible. God has no time for that game. Now the question is, what do we do with this? Alan Ross said, if the young man is not captivated by his wife, he'll be captivated with a stranger. And if captivated with a stranger, then his own iniquities will encaptivate him and he will be led to ruin. So the question is, what do we do with this? Well, here we go. I'm not done yet. Just hold on. First of all, the great question being asked of us this morning and you listening and watching online is, what do you want to be captivated with? Or let's put it another way, are we going to be a community of covenant keepers or self-maximizers? Again, I know this is written to young men, but this is for men and women and all of us. So here's what I want to give to you this morning. I believe the Lord of heaven and earth says this to our church at this moment. Number one, be honest about the dangers of adultery and run. Adultery will only lead to pain and loss. If you've experienced it, you know it, what I'm saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you can't just have him as savior, you must have him as Lord. If you're married or you feel that you are called to be married, for some of us are not, but if you are called to be married, then heed God's word right now. Drink from your own well, your own cistern, your own springs, your own streams, your own fountain, as one wrote. The repetition repetition is not to be taken as a right of possession, but a call to exclusive partnership. This call to exclusive relationship is a call to joy, a discipline that does bring pleasure in the end. God says to us as a community, listen, don't give in. My question to some of you this morning is this. Are you starting down that road? Confess it. Get help. Go to a trusted friend, a pastor, to our counseling center. Start the work that needs to happen to repair what could be lost but does not need to be lost. Do you have a plan right now? are there some among us that have a plan? You have set the groundwork to leave, to go down to that door. God in his sovereignty at this moment, out of love, comes to you one last time and gives you one last invitation not to bring a plague on both your houses. You need to repent now. Call out for renewal, revival, and awakening now. And ask God to give you a love for him and others that you have not had in years. Because adultery not only is about killing your marriage and your family, or if you have kids, it's deeper than that. It is trying and threatening your relationship with God. You are married to God first and your spouse second. If you have a plan, God comes to some of you this morning and says, stop, I'm intervening right now because I love you. We all need to acknowledge, married or not, the danger of this. But there's something more here that we need to be honest about. Because many of us are saying, well, that's not my deal. I'm not going there. But what we see here outlined are some lies that are at the root of adultery. This, this chapter pushes all of us to see the behind the scenes reality we all need to face. It was Paul Coptic who wrote these words, and I want to give them to you today. Hold on with me. He said, The first lie we see here is that the power of sexual love is the reason for marriage only. Taken to the extreme, this view claims that a marriage is only as good as its sexual relationship. If sex is present, the marriage is good. If not, it's always wrong. Similarly, the myth of romance played out in so many of our movies is the same thing. It's irresistible, but it's above accountability. What he's saying is this. Though, as we have seen in Proverbs, the sexual encounter is good and must be explored, it is not the primary reality. It's secondary If you evaluate your marriage only on sexual experience, you will end up hating your marriage because faithfulness comes first. Second lie is this, is to believe that this is all about self-fulfillment, including sexual fulfillment as the primary goal for human life. All other things become secondary to us. The teachers of Proverbs, he writes, do not condemn joy or fulfillment. As we've seen, they celebrate the pleasures of married love, but neither do they force the issues of character or faith to bow down at the throne of anything else. The third lie is this, that sex can be enjoyed outside of a lifelong relationship. In this view, listen closely, Canada. In this view, the sexual relationship is seen more as an object to acquire than a bond between people. Very rarely in our culture do we view sex anymore as a bonding act. It's just getting it on. Sexual delight, he writes, is affirmed by the chapter, but it needs to be enjoyed with faithfulness, not treated as a thing. God comes to all of us and reminds us about the seriousness and danger of adultery. He says to any of us who are married or want to be married, never, ever give in to the lies that you've just heard because it will bring ruin. Two last things if you're married, or about to be married, or you want to be married, then the commitment you need to make this morning is the commitment that you would make in your vows. That you will love God first, and your spouse second. And those are the most important things. Faithfulness requires a decision to say no to adultery, one wrote, no matter the circumstances or possible possible justifications. Adultery is always wrong. It's never right. Faithfulness requires that we work on it. Psychologist John Goodman, who has become well-known for asking, since so many marriages fail, why did Goodwin stay together? He and his colleagues got together, and this is what they found. Everyone ready? He said, no matter Christian or not, he said marriages that are staying together have these characteristics. There is real pleasure between a husband and wife. There is real intimacy. There is admiration and respect. There is passion. And here's a big one. There is a commitment to a shared future. He said, though, you will know that your marriage is heading down a path of destruction and adulteries at the door if your marriage is characterized now by criticism, contempt, defensiveness, or withdrawal. It is very difficult to have a good sex life when criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and withdrawal mark who you are. Is everything lost? No. I worship a God who rose from the dead. I worship a God who takes things that are dead and brings them back to life all the time. As I was praying this week and really working and thinking I had a sense, and I'm not just saying this because it's a large crowd, I genuinely had a sense that a couple was coming here today or maybe online, and you have just come to the decision that your marriage is dead. I have words for you from the Lord today. It is not. He wants to bring it back to life. (laughs) Genuinely. And if your marriage is full of criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and withdrawal, the Lord can deal with those things if you're willing to be honest and get help. He comes to all of us and says, be careful of adultery. He comes to all of us and says, do not make yourself the center of your marriage. All those lies will kill it. He says, be committed to me and others in faithfulness first. But this is where I end now today. There are many of you sitting here today in a lot of pain. And you're asking this question, is there any hope for me because I've already done it? I mean, I'm the person you're saying, John, I've crossed that door. I've opened that door. Or yes, I'm actually the one that used the honey and the oil to seduce another. Is there any hope? Yes. Always. The God that gave Proverbs wants us, of course, not to sin against him or others, but he wants to prevent injury. But if you've already done the injury, and you've committed the sin, and, you, and it's happened, if you truly know Jesus as Savior and Lord, then forgiveness will be given to you. You'll have to work through and live with the consequences, but you can be forgiven. Trust may need, need to be earned back over a lifetime. You may never even fully recover, but this is the promise I give you and the command I give you from Scripture. First John 1 John 1.9 reads like this. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is God's promise to you if you've committed adultery or you were the seducer. God's work on the cross is bigger than the most vile thing any of us could think up in our heads, let alone do. Jesus paid for everything. When he said it was finished, he meant it. It's finished. And God says to some of you today, forgiveness is given. But he also says to some of you these words out of the book of James. Is any one of you sick physically, sexually, emotionally? That's what it means, spiritually. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you are in the place where you have committed this or thinking about committing this and you need prayer, then just call up a pastor and when we do elders prayer, just admit it and God will not only forgive you, he will heal you. God comes to us and says, I love you. I love every single one of you. And I give this to you so you will not hurt yourself or others. And if you have hurt yourself or others, I give this to you so you know there is always hope. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. And we all say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for its rawness. Thank you for its truthfulness. Thank you for its conviction. And thank you for its hope. And God, we just got to say right now, and some of us can pray these different things. Number one, Lord, if, uh, if we've been flirting with adultery right now, and some of us have been doing it virtually or otherwise, then just forgive us. Just clean us up right now. And this is also about those who are online. Just, just forgive us, Lord, and set us free. Lord, if we've begun to believe in the lies that, that sex is the only sort of measuring rod for our marriage, forgive us. If we think that we're more important than everyone else, forgive us. If we've started believing that maybe the lie is okay, that I can do something outside of marriage, forgive us. Lord, for we who are married or want to be married, we recommit ourselves to you first, because you're the one who helps us love. And Lord, for those who have fallen on either side of the equation, I pray you'd give them grace and hope. And Lord, now as we take up communion, I pray you'd bless these elements and connect with us and remind us That there is always forgiveness, there is always hope, there is always resurrection, for that is what you are into. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, CruthersCreek.ca